Okay, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great joy to be with you, especially on this feast day of St. Claude, and especially to be able to um, share with you the enthronement of the Sacred Heart in our school. How many of you, I'm curious, have the Sacred Heart enthroned in your homes? Yes, it's a common practice, but also uncommon, <laughs> I guess. That I, I never really heard of it until I started to get more into the devotion to the Sacred Heart. Um, but it's something that, I, this was the first time I've ever done it. I've never even done it in my own house or in our rectory or anything. We probably should. Um, but it's something that kind of fell by the wayside, as many things did that are beautiful and good. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad to bring it back. Um, I've said many times before, maybe from a kind of educational perspective or spiritual perspective just that Jesus is the reason for our school and if you take Jesus out of the center of everything that we do then we might as well just close the school you know what I mean and sometimes I think that that we lose sight of that fact we can get excited that it's a classical school or that you know we're not going to have to battle certain other battles that are going on in the world and all of that is fine but all of that in my opinion you know if you think about Chesterton's vision of the playground and the fence right that if you have a fence around the playground, that's not a means of obstructing the play. It's actually a means of fostering the play because the, it, you, it makes it safe and makes it free with limits, with boundaries. Freedom always requires some kind of boundaries or limits. Otherwise, it's not really freedom. It's just insanity. So to have those limits, he uses the image of the, the playground on the top of a mountain, that if you don't have the fence around the edge, the children will be scared to go near it and to be free and running. But if you put the boundary there, then what happens inside of the fence is actually much more relaxed and much more free. And so, yeah, we are a classical school, conservative school, whatever you want to say. But all of that is simply to free up the action for what happens within those boundaries, if that makes sense. And what's happening within those boundaries Yes, we're learning. Yes, we're dancing. Yes, we're painting. Yes, we're singing. Yes, we're doing all these things. But more than anything, we are meeting uh, a person, uh, the person of Jesus, who is living, present in our midst, dynamic, and, of course, is the, the source and the summit of everything that we do. So um, to be able to enthrone the school to his kingship and to entrust our school in a new way to his mercy, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor for me, and, and I'm grateful that you all came to be a part of that. So I, w- I want to talk today about my friend, St. Claude. St. Claude La Colombière is, um, as I said in the homily, is a great friend um, of the heart of Jesus. He's someone who um, just has a, a way about him that is quintessentially French. He's sneaky. He's funny. He's to the point. He's refined. Um, and he is who he says he is. He's a man of integrity. St. Claude, I, I never heard of him before. My confirmation saying is St. Patrick. So as a good uh, Southside Irishman, that is pretty much expected. Um, and the reason that I picked St. Patrick was because my brother had picked St. Patrick as well and had already done the research for the same paper <laughs> <laughs> that we had to write. So that was the reason. And, um, you know, I mean, I love St. Patrick, obviously, but there wasn't a, a lot of personal connection there. He's not a modern saint, obviously, so there's not a lot of stories about him that go beyond a kind of hagiography. 
So it's hard to feel a connection to him, although his story is inspiring. Um, especially, uh, we love a good story of a, of a Brit becoming Irish and leaving behind his British heritage. Uh, Titanic, uh, the Irish built it and the English sank it. You know, that's just the way that it goes. But St. Claude is someone that I met in 2012. Every year in the seminary, a group of seniors or juniors spends a semester in Rome. Um, The University of St. Thomas has a house in Rome. And so the first group who was gone, my first semester of seminary, had come back. And they had introduced us to a saint named St. Claude La Colombière. And they just printed out, or passed out, I should say, these prayer cards. And this is the prayer card, the actual one that I received that night in our floor lounge in 2012. And our floor was dedicated to St. Claude the whole year, even though this was now the winter time by the time I'd gotten this prayer card. Mm-hmm. And um, I never even thought twice about it. Say, who, who was that? It's an old man on a picture, whatever. But... When I received this prayer card, I mean, there was something that was just spiritual about it. You know, there was a a connection immediately that I felt. And I don't know how else to explain that besides to say it that way, that when I look into his face, even to this day, uh, you look at his mouth, he's got a little, like a little smirk almost (laughs) in a way. And the first thing that I thought in the the interiority of my heart, I, I heard these words, I have something I want to tell you about. And I thought, well, that's a very strange experience. I've never heard that before. I have something I want to tell you about. Um, and his face, as you look at it, it, it does have a kind of like, I know something you don't know kind of <laughs> look on it, right? But that was what I heard. I have something I want to tell you about. And... <laughs> As I learned more about him, and then very providentially, I have this book of his spiritual direction, his writings and retreats. Uh, It was given to someone else originally in the seminary. Nice note from someone named John to my friend Jacob Rudd. And Jacob Rudd was like, anybody want this book? (laughs) I'll take it. So I put my name in it, of course. But you can see, I mean, it's folded down. It's well used. And this is a great accompaniment for me. It still is the spiritual direction of St. Claude, and you learn more, I've learned more about him. And I, I just want to say that um, maybe you have this experience where sometimes saints find us, you know, where Our Lady of Lourdes did this with me. I, I never anticipated having a great love for Our Lady of Lourdes until I went to Lourdes and my life was changed there. My family was changed there. I've told you that story. I think my, my brother and dad were both healed at Lourdes. Um, not, they weren't there, but through the intercession of me being there. Um, both had very serious cancer. And I went there on Mary, Mother of God, New Year's Day, offered Mass for their intentions. And by the end of January, they were both totally cancer-free. And I attribute that completely to Our Lady of Lourdes. And so I love her. And Claude is the same way. So let me tell you a little bit about the connections that keep coming up between me uh, and St. Claude. St. Claude is French. My freshman year of high school, I decided I didn't want to be like everyone else. I know that that will shock you. <laughs> but I didn't want to take Spanish because everyone else was taking Spanish. So my brother had taken Spanish. My mom wanted me to take Spanish. So I said, I'm taking French. And I took French throughout high school and in college as well, um, before seminary. And I just simply love France. I, I love 
the French language and culture. My French now is a little rusty, unfortunately. Um, having studied Spanish in Peru and then living in, Itali- in Italy, I mean, I like get all these languages confused, you know. But, but French is my one true love, I would say. I, I just love the culture there. I, I love, even now, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of country now, but there's a huge hidden very big groundswell of very faithful Catholic people in France. And that the church in France is more alive than we give it credit for. Um, but they've had to struggle for it, haven't they? But I, w- I mean, I went to public high school, so we weren't talking about the church in France very much. But I simply love the language. And in French class, as in Spanish class, you may remember, we get to pick names, right? And uh, I couldn't decide on a name, so I picked two names. And the name I picked, it was on a list. That's how I picked it. It was on a list. Sometimes French names have two names. That was it. You want, there it is on a list. I picked the name Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. So that was my name in French class for my whole time in high school. But that connection, Jean-Claude, is fascinating to me. And it became clear to me, it's one of the things I think Claude wanted to tell me about. I believe that the first person to have a devotion to the Sacred Heart was St. John the Apostle. St. John the Apostle leans on the heart of Christ at the Last Supper, right? And that book, Insinu Jesu, which was very popular a few years ago, written by a priest in Ireland, um, Insinu Jesu means on the breast or the side of, of Jesus. And I, um, in that book, there's one line. It's near the front. I think it's literally like page seven. And the, the priest's entry for this day simply says, please, Lord, Johannanize my heart. In other words, make my heart like John the Apostle's heart. And that is the last line I ever read in the book because I can never, I cannot, I just can't get past that. The de- like, that's the only prayer I want to pray. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, not that I don't care, but that's all I can get out of that right now. And for almost six years or seven years, like that's all I've read in the book, page seven, Johannanize my heart. Because can you imagine what it would do to you to lean up against the side of Christ and be able to hear and to feel his heartbeat, to be able to hear it in, in the, you know, and, and having the sense that something very serious is about to happen to that heart, but that this is the heart of your best friend, you know what I mean? Think about that. Um, so John the Apostle is, of course, the only one of the apostles not to be martyred. He dies in exile on the island of Patmos. But before that, he brings, of course, as the Lord instructs, he brings a group around himself, as Jesus did around himself, and he has faithful disciples that he teaches. One of these disciples is a man named Polycarp. You all heard of St. Polycarp of Smyrna. St. Polycarp was a descendant or a disciple, a student of St. John the Apostle. So to learn about the Lord's life, the mission of the Lord from the apostle himself, of course, would be wild. There's a lift going by. That's the beeping. I can explain the lift in a minute, but it's kind of a neat project we're doing. Um, So Polycarp goes on and preaches. He becomes the bishop in Smyrna. He himself is martyred in a very spectacular way, right? He's, uh, He's burned at the stake and the fire... In the story of his martyrdom, it says the fire will not consume him. In fact, it billows out around his body and doesn't touch him, but bakes him, rather. And it doesn't bake him in like a way that he dies, but he said the, the account is that you could smell sweet, 
like bread almost, being leavened, you know. Um, and so he won't die, so eventually he's thrust through with a spear. Um, what other heart do you know that is thrust through with a spear, of course, is the sacred heart of Jesus on the cross. Um, so Polycarp, before he dies, he brings a group of people around himself, as the Lord instructed, and one of those people to come out of that time of discipleship is a man named Irenaeus. Irenaeus, we know him as the bishop, and Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, Gaul, right? So Irenaeus is not the first one to bring the gospel to Gaul, to France, um, but he's the one who really establishes the church there and clarifies a lot of theological difficulties in Gaul. And Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, he was the bishop of the city of Lyon. Um, Has anyone ever been to Lyon in France before? It's in the southern part of France, kind of south-central France, I guess. Um, If you want to go to Paris, you should go to Paris, because it's Paris. But if you want to go to a French city, go to Lyon. Lyon is an amazing, amazing city. And Paris is Paris, but it's not a French city. You know what I mean? If you want to go to Illinois, don't go to Chicago. But if you want to go to Chicago, then go to Chicago. You know what I'm saying? So Lyon is a a spectacular city, such a cultural city. but that's where Irenaeus was. He, was. he lived there. He died there. His tomb was in Lyon, in the church of St. Irenaeus, until the 19th century, when some French Protestants came and ground up his bones and destroyed his tomb. So thanks for that, you guys. Uh, but his, the church is still there, and you can go there. So St. Irenaeus is, uh, now we're connecting with St. John, the apostle. He's the bishop of Lyon. He brings... And, and establishes the church in that region. And as I said in the homily, about one hour north of Lyon is a small town called Paray le Monial. Paray le Monial, sometimes just called Paray, is a small city even to this day. And in the small city, there were two religious communities. One was the Visitation Sisters, and the other was the Jesuits. And by the time the 17th century rolls around, in the mid-1600s, you've had the Reformation in Germany, you've had the Reformation in England, and you have this kind of quiet time between the Reformations um, in those places and the Revolution in France. But we don't, well, obviously we know that Revolution does not just begin one day for no reason. It often is the result of a century or two of intellectual unrest, you know, leading to difficulty, etc. So we can't say that for sure, of course, that what Claude would have known about the, the kind of underpinning of what tension would he have felt in France. But of course, in his travels to England, I mean, that's why he was put in jail, as I said, in England, because if he was preaching the Catholic faith in England, you know. And that was during that century after the Reformation when there was another Catholic king and then they didn't really like that and who's going to do, how's it going to all work? But... The 16th century in France is uh, often called the, the century of the saints, siècle des saints. Why? Because there's so many saints in France that are coming and arising in this time. Some of them are famous and some of them are not. St. Margaret Mary, obviously, is very famous. Every grandmother has a picture of her on the wall somewhere. But St. Claude is not as well known. And I think Claude would probably like that in his own sneaky French way. But in the community, there are these two religious houses, the Visitation Sisters and, and the Jesuits. And I, I explained in the homily a little bit of that story, that in this convent, you have a young nun, Sister Margaret Mary, Marguerite Marie, 
and she is devoted, she's holy, she's not particularly, you know, one way or the other, she's not like outstanding in her piety that everybody would believe her immediately that Jesus had visited her room, you know. But she's faithful and quiet and humble and goes about her work and in uh, 16, I believe it was 1673, you think that's right? Because this is an anniversary year this year. I think it's 1673. Could be wrong about that. 1643, maybe. On the feast, December 27th, um, Jesus appears to Margaret Mary with the message of mercy, message of love, message of infinite desire for souls, for repentance on earth, but not from a place of being scary, right? Repent or die, as the people on the sidewalks will say. But he says, no, all I really desire is mercy. I, 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 he said it in the gospel too, right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to come and, and read the beautiful Old Testament, even in the law books like Deuteronomy, but go through Ezekiel, go through Jeremiah. I want a covenant with you. I want to take your stony hearts. I want to give you a natural heart. I want to make you fleshy is the word that's used. I want to take away the stoniness of the world and I want to give you a new heart that is fleshy and natural and real and vulnerable and put together and humble. You know, I want to do this for you. It's not a chore for him to love us or to redeem us. It's what he came to do. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. You learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I am meek and humble of heart. That's the message. And so Margaret goes to her superiors and says, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and they say, you're right, we don't believe this. So they need to find someone who can affirm these revelations. They kept happening over a period of time, and they needed to find someone who could affirm them. So they had heard about a young Jesuit, a new superior, who had moved into Paray-le-Monial, a little nowhere assignment, probably not very glamorous. The Jesuits are still there today, as are the Visitation Sisters. The Jesuits run a high school, Lycée Colombier is the name, uh, Colombier High School, basically, Lycée Paray-le-Monial. And uh, it's attached to a building called Chapelle La Colombière, which is where St. Claude's tomb is. Um, so they go down the street and they say, we need some help. And all the sisters are like, oh, how do we know? How do we know? And Margaret Mary is the one who says from, that Jesus speaks to her and says, Claude is a friend of my heart and you can trust him. Claude is a special friend of my heart. So right away, you have a new theme introduced into these revelations of Jesus. You have, of course, mercy, you have redemption, you have unconditional love, but now you have friendship, friendship. And as we've been learning in senior theology this year, that in friendship is a deeper kind of intimacy even than like conjugal intimacy that friendship is the deepest kind of connection between human people. And obviously, spouses ought to be best friends with each other, such that their conjugal love is an expression of their friendship. But friendship actually is the deepest level of intimacy. And so the deepest relationship you can have is friendship with Christ, who desires friendship with you before you even know that it's possible to have friendship with him, which I think is so fascinating. Um, so if you look at this handout I gave you, the second or third little meditation there is a friendship. It's a prayer 
or a meditation on friendship with Jesus from St. Claude. And Claude says, Jesus, you are my only true friend. You share in my troubles. You bear them with me. You know the secret of bringing good out of them for me. You listen to me kindly when I tell you of my afflictions, and you never fail to soften them. I can find you everywhere. You never go away. And if I'm obliged to change my dwelling, I never fail to find you in the place where I have gone. You never tire of hearing my voice. You never weary of doing me good. I am assured of being loved if I love you. However wretched I am, a more noble, finer, or even a holier spirit will never replace me. As for death, which snatches from us all our other friends, it will only reunite me with you. None of the graces of age or the disfavors of fortune can separate me from you. On the contrary, I will never enjoy your presence more fully, and you will never be closer than when all is most in my disfavor. You suffer my shortcomings with admirable patience. Even my unfaithfulness, my ungratefulness, does not stop you from always coming back to me if I so wish. Jesus, grant me the grace of desiring this so that I may be your, all yours for all time and all eternity. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And that's the first thing that Claude wanted to teach me. That through this kind of lineage, um, he wanted to teach me not just fear of Christ, not just sub- submission to Christ, subjection to Christ, but friendship with Christ is the way to live the priesthood. But it's more than anything is the way to live uh, the Christian life, isn't it? Um, I've, I don't know. Well, I don't want to tell too many stories at once. So I arrived for the first time in Paray le Monial completely by happenstance in a way that was not planned by me anyway. And I didn't even realize it until I was sitting there in the Chapelle La Colombière reading the story of the Sacred Heart. But I arrived in Paray le Monial in 2013 on December 27th. And so December 27th is the feast day of who? St. John the Apostle. So I see my little French name, Jean-Claude. The hyphen there is a very important hyphen for me because from St. John all the way through to St. Claude and then to me, that something about this plan, this story, is coming full circle in a way. And I see myself as a kind of not apostle of the Sacred Heart, but a disciple of the Sacred Heart. That Claude, imitating his great predecessors, Irenaeus, Polycarp and John has called me to himself in a way to explain to me and to show me a new way to live, which is not being afraid all the time, not being uh, uh, yeah, overcome by anxiety about my position before the Lord or about um, what my state or uh, calling in life is, but to be confident that in fact, um, just as John was cared for and Polycarp was cared for and Irenaeus was cared for and all those in between and Claude was cared for, uh, I am cared for. And just as through Claude, so many more have been cared for because of what he did with St. Margaret Mary that I can be confident that in my own priesthood, the Lord is at work and that many more are being cared for through not just a faithful priest. And I don't, I don't know why I put that in quotes, but you know what I mean? Not just like, oh, he's a priest, so of course he's going to be faithful, but that my priesthood is actually Christ's priesthood given to me because I was first a friend of Christ, a disciple. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That you are Catholic, Christian, married people because that is a thing that has been given to you 
because you first were friends with Christ. Or perhaps through your marriages, you became friends with Christ by seeing for the first time a friendship sort of like this one with your spouse, someone who is always there, someone who always is with you, who doesn't leave you, who walks with you. And we can see in that an image of, of Christ. But because of this, holiness is difficult, obviously, and it requires, uh, it requires honesty with ourselves. Claude faced a lot of opposition from the sisters and the people in the town. I mean, if you're in a small town, even today, if you hear that some nun nearby is meeting with the Lord in her room, <laughs> you're going to be saying either she's insane uh, or, you know what I mean, or, or there's something going on here and it's not really Jesus or whatever. And there's going to, you know, people are very interested in that sort of thing. And so this was not sort of like a quiet endeavor where he got into his Volkswagen and drove down the street and nobody knew what was going on. You know, I mean, people in the town knew what was happening. The sisters were, of course, of different minds on the matter, right? But he had to be honest with himself, and he had to say, you know, he's a, as I said, he's a faithful son of St. Ignatius. He's a man of discernment. He's a man of wisdom. He's a man of interior peace and calm. He's in tune with the movements of consolation and desolation. And so he's able to navigate all of these things. But that doesn't make things go away. It just helps you to be honest with yourself in the midst of difficulty, how, fe- how I fear for my salvation when I see how inconstant I am. I'm now happy, now I'm sad. Today I'm friendly with everyone, and tomorrow, he says, I am like a hedgehog that no one can touch without being pricked. This is a sign that nature still reigns with us, that our passions are still unmortified, and that we have very little virtue. A man who leans on God is immovable and cannot be overthrown. Whatever happens that is annoying, he is pleased because he has no other will than that of God. O happy, peaceful state, but we must fight to attain it. As perfection exists in trying to please God in everything and to please him openly, we must not hesitate when we get an opportunity of pleasing him and of being praised by him, however much we displease men or lose their esteem. O happy, peaceful state, but we must fight to attain it. And for me, it's extremely, um, it's extremely consoling to hear a saint say that because sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that the saints are people who have it easy, you know, that it, holiness was easy for them. Well, I mean, you live in a convent for God's sake, you know what I mean? Uh, of course you're going to have an easy time. You don't have anything, you don't have anything to bother you. You just pray all day and eat your little meals and whatever, but... No, people like St. Therese of Lisieux uh, and Claude here, I mean, they just fill me with such peace that, you have, that they had to fight to attain it. And that's the beauty of, of, of holiness, is that uh, if there is no victory, or if there's no battle, there, there cannot be a victory. You know? And uh, his grace is sufficient for us in all of these things. And to become convinced of that fact, not only that I could be holy, maybe, but that he wants me to be, and that he has given me the grace to sustain me through it. Gosh, that fills me with such, such peace. Uh, so that I can say with him at the top there, I do not give up hope, however, of arriving at that degree of holiness which my vocation demands. But that is something I foresee will take a long time. See what I mean by he's just kind of this smirky little French guy, which I love that about him. I foresee it will take a very long time. And that's okay. It may, in fact, take 
the whole of uh, your life. You know what I mean? Um, I am wondering if anyone has the original of this. If you flip it over, is there something on the back? Oh, dear. Hang on. There's supposed to be two sides to it. Let me just read you the other side. Um, this is what happens when you're in a hurry. Let me see if Ms. McCormick can just bring it on by. Know that we will be leaving. Okay. Um, uh, through it all, though, this is what he says, and this is what was on the back, so you just have to listen. But it's his prayer for holiness, and I will make these copies because I want you to have this prayer. As he stands before God, Claude, alone before the Lord, forget his apostleship to the Sacred Heart, his missions of preaching, his great acts of charity, even his work with the sisters. All that plays a role in him, with him, uh, but as he stands alone before God, this is what he says. Oh my God, do I still desire something that is not you? What have I come here to seek if it be not you? My soul, are you tired of your God? Oh, loving God, how wonderful it would be if someday you should use my weakness to withdraw a soul from sin. If all that is required is my will, I give it to you with all my heart. And then he prays perhaps the most dangerous prayer that any Christian can ever pray. He says, make me holy, O oh my God, and do not spare me in the making for I want to be yours, whatever the cost. That's like the litany of humility. If you don't want to be humble, then don't pray the litany of humility. If you don't want to be holy, then don't say that. But if you do want to be holy, then buckle up, baby, right? Sirach says, if you've come to serve the Lord, you better prepare yourself for an ordeal. Sirach 2, I think. Make me holy, oh my God, and do not spare me in the making, for I want to be yours, whatever the cost. But can you imagine, thank you, can you imagine if you, um, you're there, can you imagine if you really got to a place where you could pray that with great fervency and love and be able to say that? Um, I've included there on the back of the handout two more meditations from other people. One is from uh, Erasmo Leva Maricakis, who wrote a great meditation on the Gospel of Matthew. And then one from Romano Guardini, which you can take home and kind of pray on your own. But I thought maybe just by way of conclusion, and then if we want to have any questions or something, um, I thought by way of conclusion, we could... Um, I, I want to tell you about the first... I don't know what even to call it. Uh, this was maybe now-ish, like February, March 2011... I was a freshman at North Central. You know, I, I'd had this beautiful experience on Christmas night and wanted to become a priest. You know, I didn't know anything about it all. Uh, and so I went with Father Burke and two other guys on a, my first ever seminary visit, the first time I ever went to a seminary. And we went to Conception Seminary College, which is in middle of nowhere, Missouri. 
we were swerving around horses and buggies on the way there. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's a Benedictine monastery. And at that time, Joliet was sending um, some of their guys to go to college seminary there. Um, we don't send there anymore. Bishop Conlon wanted everyone to be in one seminary, which was a great gift. One college seminary and one major seminary. Because when I started seminary, Joliet was sending to like six different places. So you'd be getting ordained with guys you, you didn't even really know, you know. So that has made us such great friends. A lot of people comment about that. Our class, my class, had seven guys in it. And uh, people are like, man, you guys seem to be like really close brothers and friends. Because well, we are. You know? <laughs> we lived together for seven, eight long years. Um, but that's, anyway. So I was at this place. I, I don't know. Like, I'm from Oswego. And at that time, I thought like, ah, Oswego. Now that's a farm town. That's not a farm town. It was at one time, but it's not anymore, right? And it's uh, Conception Seminary College is a farm. I mean, nothing around you. The Walmart was like 40 minutes away, you know? And that was kind of the Friday night entertainment because nearby the Walmart was an Applebee's. Would you know anything about me? There's no way in hell I'm going to eat at an Applebee's. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, this priest, Father Xavier was his name. He's, he was kind of the Yoda figure of the seminary. And he gets up there to preach. And this is what he said. And I'll never forget it. And I want to leave it with you. You can close your eyes if you want. He said, Today the Lord is asking you to take your heart and give it to him. Your heart, as you prepare to give it to him, is like a rock. And it's, it's hard, it's stony, it's cold. It's hard to perceive that that thing could ever be living or soft. And he says, just give it to Jesus. And Jesus will take it into his hand. And very slowly, very softly, without shocking or bruising, the strength of his hands, he's a carpenter, remember, the strength of his hands will begin to chip away at the rock. Little by little, the rock comes off, flaking away, chunks of it, small parts of it. It hurts. It's clinging to your heart because it's stuck in there. It's got to be taken out. And what's left is sort of like, a, I don't know, a recently defrosted steak, maybe. It's got a lot of potential, but at this moment, it's got marks all over it, and maybe it's been in there a while, freezer burn. But it's there, and you can see it, and so he doesn't stop there. Instead of chipping and cracking, now he's started just massaging. The word that Father Xavier used was kneading. K-N-E-A-D. He's kneading your heart slowly, slowly over time, paying attention to different parts, touching specifically parts that are hard, parts that are soiled, parts that need to be incorporated back into the whole of it again. He kneads the heart slowly. And as it gets softer and softer, he does something spectacular. <coughs> He takes from his pouch a small little vial. 
which in the scriptures we call the oil of gladness, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The oil of gladness is a sweet perfume, and he pours it on your heart. And this is some kind of catalyst that just makes the thing become soft and fragrant. And he needs a little harder because now it's easier. Now it's easier. Over time, the redness of it comes back. The, the, the vivifying color, the signs of life have now come back. And as he massages your heart, it just gets softer and softer. But as he pours onto it the oil of gladness, something spectacular begins to happen. That as it gets softer and softer because of the strength of his hands, but the gentleness of his touch, the marks of his fingers begin to be left. And if you look really closely, everyone look very closely at it. If you look really closely, not only can you see the indents of his fingers, but if you look inside the indents, you can even begin to see the lines of his fingerprints, which are left there. And he keeps going and he keeps going. And eventually the divine DNA becomes so imprinted because he's touched every part of it that you begin to wonder, the people you encounter begin to wonder, whose heart is this anymore? Because it doesn't look like the one that I remember having. And now it's covered with someone else's presence, someone else's DNA, someone else's marks, personal mark, stamp, I guess. Fascinating, fascinating. Whose heart is this now? And there we see one of the beautiful truths of the faith. We see it from Paul. We see it in the documents of Second Vatican Council that the closer you get to him, somehow you become more like him. And by becoming more like him, you become fully you. He reveals you to yourself. He reveals you to yourself. Jesus comes to reveal the human person fully to him or herself. You have died, says St. Paul, and your life is hidden now with Christ in God, so that when Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear with him in glory, because it's his life that you now live. The life I live now is a life of faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that was one of the first experiences I ever had in my discernment journey. And many years later, in prayer with St. Claude, I realized that that's what St. Claude wanted to tell me. That's what he wanted to show me. And that's what he continues to show me through his intercession. He wants to show me mercy. He wants to show me friendship. He wants to show me the importance of being honest with myself. He wants to show me the importance and the, the radicality that holiness requires. Make me holy, oh my God, and do not spare me in the making. Um, he wants all of that, yes, but why? But why? Because he wants me to be me. He wants me to become fully the man who the Father has dreamed into the world. He wants me to be fully the priest who shares in his own priesthood. He wants me to be fully the brother, his brother, his friend. With a brother's kindness, uh, the ordination mass says, he's sharing in his priesthood with me. Um, he wants me to be his friend. He wants me to be his disciple. He wants me to be... Uh, fully who the Father has envisioned me to be. That's what Claude wanted to reveal to me. And it was all contained on a Monday night floor meeting in 2012 inside the little smirk of a prayer card, which I have kept inside this book for so many years. 
and when I look at it now, I'm transported back to that moment of wonder and desire, and um, and I'll be happy to yeah, take questions or have a little discussion, but <laughs> I I can't leave without uh, showing you one of my favorite pictures of all time, which was the moment that uh, Claude and I, in addition to our the feast day, February fifteenth being my dad's birthday, in addition to my birth year, nineteen ninety two. He was canonized in May of 1992. I was born in May of 1992. Um, so many little connections between us. Um, I don't know how well you can see this picture, but uh, Claude is also my doppelganger. What is that? <laughs> that we look the same. Yeah. I'll, you can, you can sh- look at this later if you want. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you can come look at this later if you want, but... Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of, yeah, glad that my hair fell all the way out. It picked one way or the other. Was, I couldn't live that way forever. Uh, I knew it was time to do it when my friends were saying that uh, your, your, uh, your peninsula has become an isthmus. <laughs> that was Jim Olison, for those of you. Of course it was. So anyway, that's my friend St. Claude and uh, some of my attachment to the Sacred Heart. So thanks for listening today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Are there any... Uh,